You're listening to Risk Takers podcast series coming to you from Chesley Brown headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Founded in 1990, we've been helping businesses explore better ways to anticipate and navigate risk before it becomes a crisis. I'm your host, Brent Brown, Chairman and CEO of Chesley Brown, and joining us this week is our very special guest, uh, Jack Barsky. Welcome to, uh, I'm not going to say welcome to Atlanta because you live here now. Um, <laughs> sort of, but, a little <laughs> south of Atlanta, but yes, I, I'm i now a Georgian. So, well, we're, we're going to call you a Georgian today. Without the accent. Uh, right. <laughs> well, and, you, and if you're detecting a little bit of accent, our, our uh, people out there, it's, uh, it's with reason. Um, Jack is an interesting um, character of history. Um, Jack was actually a KGB agent uh, during the Cold War. He was uh, what was known as a sleeper cell. Um, but Jack, uh, uh, as I would think uh, I can say this, that you're proud to be an American today. Um, you, you got that right, if I may, may add. Uh, I am not only legally and intellectually American, I'm also emotionally an American. I, I can't deny my German roots. But I'd rather be here than there. That's great. That's great. Well, we're glad to have you here, and we're glad that you you came here uh, uh, and that you made the choice to become an American. That you saw the the, the right way to, to, to live. But, but um, we have a very interesting story ahead of you today. We're going to talk a little bit uh, uh, from from Chesley Brown's perspective about uh, uh, espionage and, and uh, corporate espionage specifically, and. Uh, I know you have a, an expertise in, in high tech and electronics, but let's go back to the beginning, Jack. Of you know, first of all, um, you're not Russian; you're East German. You were recruited by the KGB. Um, how did they recruit you? And before you start that, tell us your your original birth name. Yeah, that's that's a name Americans will stumble over. It has too many <laughs> sounds. So uh, and the first name is, uh, was given to me at birth is Albrecht Dietrich. One more time. Albrecht Dietrich. <laughs> so uh, how did you ad- adopt the name Jack? And um, was that given to you by the KGB when they sent you over uh, here? Indeed. Uh, the, that was typical of, of how... Uh, the KGB manufactured uh, identities uh, by st- stealing uh, names from uh, folks that were deceased. And in my case, uh, the, the Jack Barsky was a real individual who passed away at the age of six, I believe. Wow. And his name was found by an agent in, in a graveyard in... Uh, in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, they managed to, you know, the security has never been the great strength of the United States. They managed <laughs> to get a death certificate and then parley that into a uh, birth certificate, which I, uh, yes, which was given to me, and uh, that's how I became Jack Barsky. Wow. So, um, I believe that the, 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 the Jack Barsky's family ultimately agreed to, they met you at some point? Uh, we did not meet. 
that really wouldn't have been very appropriate. Right. Mm, but uh, the FBI actually co uh, contacted the Barsky family. The f father and mother were still alive, and also a, uh, a brother and a sister. Uh, and uh, they understood that uh, you know that I had been cooperating with the FBI and uh, were kind enough to allow me to continue w with that name. Uh, had I, it, it, I was already so Americanized under that name, and I, right. I, I was so enmeshed in society. Would have made a lot of difficulty not only for me but also my my family, right. my wife and children. That's fascinating. And, and uh, yeah. speaking of the FBI, I, I would be remiss to not mention that uh, our managing director of corporate investigations, the spy catcher himself, Del Spry, retired uh, supervisory special agent with the FBI, is sitting in with us. Um, so for me, uh, the perspective of having uh, the ultimate FBI spy catcher on the right side of my table and on the left side of KGB, uh, former KGB agent sleeper cell is just... Um, uh, something to, hard to wrap my my pea brain around, but it's fascinating. And so you might you might hear um, Dale in the background uh, coach me some some questions here. But um, so you you got to the United States. You were you were recruited by the KGB. Um, how did that happen? And where did you land in the in the U.S.? And then, uh, you're referring to the recruitment process. Right. <clears throat> it was a very deliberate, very slow uh, process. The initial contact was made by, by a German national, but he was most likely a volunteer right. uh, for the KGB. Uh, there was no official, uh, you know, he was just saying, I'm from the government. Right. Uh, and, of course, to me, when, when I heard government, uh, there's a stranger who approached me in, in my dorm room. When I heard government, I thought it was probably East German secret mm -hmm. police, uh, Stasi. Um, but I didn't even touch this. I didn't even ask him what part of government, you know. We just we talked a little mm -hmm. bit. And then so we, you were in college about this? Yes, okay. yes. Uh, I was right. in my third year. And uh, uh, then he invited me to, to meet at a restaurant. And that's where uh, he introduced me to a Russian. And, of course, what he said, you know, we working with our Soviet uh, uh friends. And that's how I wound up with the KGB, because then the German walked away, and, uh, and my, wow. my new handler, my first handler, became uh, was, was an, uh, a Soviet national Russian uh, agent. Wow. So they sent you straight to the United States at that point? Oh, no, no, no. It, as I said, training? it was a long process. They were, they were fishing for particular individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I know this for, based on research. Uh, uh, a couple of ex-heads of the KGB were interviewed about what they were looking in uh, people who could be sent out as illegals. Mm -hmm. There's a whole that uh, the character traits that are required for somebody to be successful in in, in that uh, in that arena are there are many, and they're not necessarily. Widespread, right. you know. There's, there's some, some are good and some are bad, and uh, but they're all just, you know, they can be good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I, f I, f I, f I found out that I fit that profile, but uh, for them to find out that I was a, uh, a a good candidate required a lot of getting to know you, and it was all in for on an informal basis, one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, so a lot of just social interaction. Talk about you know how you're doing in college and, and how you're getting along with the girls and, and all kinds of you know, mother father. Um, and then I got a few like little tasks to do, uh, and I did well. And some reports to write. They were all for practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, we uh, a friend of mine and I took a long trip throughout Eastern Europe. Uh, uh, we hitchhiked, and they made me write a report about this uh, uh, and, um, this trip. And I must have done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so after about two years, I finally was asked the question, are wow. you, are you, are you going to join us or not? So this was two years it took, that they it took, recruited It took you. two years, that's correct. Wow. And so you, uh, you accepted, obviously, and you came to the U.S., um, well, obvious in hindsight. Uh, at the time, I, I was still on the fence, but I, they gave me 24 hours to say yes or no. Right. <laughs> and obviously, I that then did accept. Uh, you ever wonder what a no would have uh, meant to your uh, life? I, I, there's not much to wonder. You you don't really force somebody into something like that. At that point, I really could have said no. Okay. But once you're in, and then it turns out that I really don't want to do this because, you know, I'm too afraid. Right. I had never been to the West. And there's a, this is an interesting situation. Then you know this is evil over there, and now you're going into enemy territory. Some people mm-hmm. can't handle it. Mm-hmm. But at that point, if I had said, you know, I can't do it, uh, it would have damaged my career possibilities significantly. I know this because I met a, an ex-classmate of mine who who was Stasi and who confided in me that mm-hmm. he was recruited and on his first trip to uh, West Berlin, so practice trip, he, he wet his pants and went back wow. and told him, I can't do this. Uh, he was an engineer by training and a smart guy. He spent the, the rest of his professional life uh, buying, selling, trading uh, model railroads. Wow. That was that, uh, he was on. They put him on ice, so he had to fend for himself. So they sent you to the U.S. and they they loaded you with lots of money, right? To, to well, yeah, enough yourself. to get here. <laughs> and when I arrived, I had about six thousand dollars left, which in, in those days, in the late seventies, was real was real money. That's good. Uh, but it doesn't last very long if you have to stay at a hotel. Because I I needed documentation before I could even uh, attempt to get myself an apartment and so mm-hmm. on, so I I, I stayed for uh, uh, close to two years in a single room, uh, uh, in an SRO hotel, single room occupancy, mm-hmm. uh, where the uh, the rent was six hundred dollars a month, and that was cheap. Wow, so, in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's <clears throat> so. And what part of the country did you end up in? Was this uh, near the Washington area? No, it was New York City. New York City, and that was that was very wise for for, for them to not uh, introduce me into the, the D.C. area because mm-hmm. in New York, you know, anything goes, uh, you know, and and my accent. Wouldn't wouldn't be unusual in New York. Right. It would have been un, unusual in, in uh, say, let, let's say Chicago. Uh, and the explanation that I gave was was perfectly fine because based on my birth certificate, my mother could have been German. Mm-hmm. She had a German last name, uh, maiden name Schwartz. Uh, and uh, you know, this is just in, in New York. Uh, 
people aren't that curious as to right. you know where you're coming from where you're going you know just uh, and and uh, it took me two years to get to a point where I was able to get my own place wow. and uh, you know have a driver's license social security card you know have a job ask me what my first job was what was your first job Jack I was a bike messenger <laughs> in New York City. In New York City. Wow. And I became a real street urchin. urchin. I mean, I, <laughs> I knew the, the street inside out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I developed the elbows necessary to operate <laughs> in, in New York. And you're pretty tall. You're, you're probably 6'3". 6'3", yes, good guess, yeah. So you, you were quite the bike messenger, I'm uh, sure. Bike yeah, but, you know, it's, it, 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 sometimes it, it irked me when... When some uh, ditzy uh, secretary uh, would yell back to the office, say, the messenger boy is here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> so, so you truly had to blend in, and, and yeah. this, this is what a sleeper cell does, right? You just blend in until you're called on. Is that uh, correct? You think <clears throat> they told me exactly how important that was to them. <laughs> they, they just told me what to do. And then I had a generic uh, task. It's just you know, get to know people. Mm -hmm. Get to know people, particularly <clears throat> they were interested in political intelligence. So that means get to know people who are either decision makers or close to decision makers with regard to foreign policy. They were primarily focused on uh, con conservative think tanks. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when Carter was still president. And I mentioned that once, and I regret it, because uh, it became sort of an urban legend that I was supposed to stalk Zbigniew Brzezinski. Not true, <laughs> but Brzezinski was mentioned as one of the folks that they were really interested in. Mm -hmm. And since he not only was national security advisor, he also had a, uh, um, I think he was a, chairperson at uh, Columbia University right. Institute for Foreign Policy or whatever that was called mm -hmm. and that could have possibly given me an in but you know how does a bike messenger you know go to Columbia and say right. I, I want to hang out with you guys <laughs> <laughs> so that, this was a long long term commitment it, it was a long term commitment uh, and now the, the, the original plan some of the things that the, uh, the KGB did was was very good in terms of you know doing their job right uh even brilliant the plan that they had was i think was brilliant and would have made me into a dangerous adversary to the united states i was supposed to as my last piece of documentation acquire an american passport and then go back to Europe someplace, mm -hmm. to Switzerland or Austria, where they were going to set me up with a company and uh, funnel a bunch of dollars or whatever, the right. uh, uh, Swiss francs into that company. Uh, and I would return to the United States and a couple of couple years, years later, repatriate the money and uh, ba-boom, I'm up in the at least upper middle class where it would have been really easy for me to, to make those right. kinds of contacts. That's it, fascinating. It, the plan was brilliant. It failed in execution. <laughs> wow. So, so how do you? How were you um, communicating back to the uh, the KGB at the time? Did you did you have communication gear? Did you 
Is this like we would see in some of the movies, or who are your handlers? Give me, give me some of the nuts all and right. bolts on that. Well, first of all, uh, I never met a, a handler on the territory of the United States. Really? My handler, actually, most likely, the person who made decisions about me, I probably never met in person. This is one of the things they were also good at. It was... Uh, um, Compartmentalization, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, it's, it's uh, left over from the old uh, days when the communists were underground. You know, those cells. Right. You, know, you, you, if you were caught, you could give up maybe two other people or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I couldn't give up anybody because names were not given to me, and I never met a, a, a Soviet agent. Yeah on the territory of the United States, that made communication rather awkward. Mm. So I, uh, I received uh, um, the, um, the orders or, and, and, and advice and whatever through uh, uh, shortwave radio, uh, double encrypted messages, uh, uh, nothing but digits. Right. And uh, for me, I, all, all I could do is uh, send... Uh, uh, letters to a couple of convenience addresses with secret writing in there. There's not a lot of information. You can get onto two pages of a letter. I wasn't allowed uh, more than two, so the, oh. so so that the mail wouldn't look different right. from other letters, right? Um, and how often did you have to communicate back you know, while well, you were sleeping, I, I so was, to speak? I was allowed to write. I had, for the most part, I had two addresses. One was in Germany, the other one in South America. Uh, I was allowed to write one letter per month to each address. Again, there is not a lot of uh, <clears throat> information you can convey that way. And uh, this is where the KGB was really weird. Uh, once a quarter, I had to send in a detailed finance report. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the real estate that I was using was, to me, was very, very uh, uh, precious. You know, this is, I took up a page of one of those letters. Right. Just they needed, they needed a they detailed needed finance that. report, but, but the money I spent and what I spent it on. <laughs> <laughs> And this was when you were in the, the quote, sleeper states, or is this when you were starting to do your... Well, the the sleeper, I was always a sleeper, too. Uh, I I just wasn't told, really. I got you. uh, That this was important to them. Uh, I was... uh, um, All the time, once I had my documentation and, uh, and I... I left the messenger job because as messenger, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, make contact with interesting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, I entered college, and I studied information technology, uh, and while in college, I started uh, you know, looking for people who could possibly be candidates to be recruited down the road, college students. Right. And uh, so... That was one of the tasks they they wanted me to, you know, find find interesting people, and I did uh, quite a bit of that uh, over the years, uh, and that, that extended when I entered uh, the profession. I started as a programmer uh, with MetLife. Never really met the the folks that they were mostly interested in, mm-hmm. the politicians and the decision makers, military. 
and you, you also have to be really careful, you know, because um, I, I always had to be concerned with some really, really sharp people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I, I was aware that I still had this little accent. And if somebody actually was going to dig it a little deeper, they would have found some really odd things. Like, you know. All right. All right. So my backstory was such that um, I dropped out of high school because I didn't have an high school diploma. Okay. Uh, and I had no record at any high school. So then I spent, because of uh, migraine headaches, I spent... Uh, a dozen years in the country someplace on a dairy farm, and then I re-entered New York City to just, you know, try the city again. Mm-hmm. And then I became a bike messenger, and uh, five years later I graduated as valedictorian from a U.S. <laughs> college. So so you look at that, says, well, something is That's not something right about that guy. <laughs> so, so I had to be really cautious also with regard to uh, the females. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I couldn't really get too close to anybody who was who who knew the United States, and not surprisingly, uh, who was born here and raised here. Not surprisingly, I wound up eventually getting married to somebody from South America. Wow! Yeah, she was illegal, and uh, living here in the United States, she was illegal. And uh, after I got married to her, no, we we were. Uh, we had a relationship, and then she asked me, you know, if she could, we could, could get married. I said, why? Well, because I'm illegal. So I thought long and hard, and because I liked her a lot, I married her, <laughs> and she became a legal re- uh, resident. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, what kind of, well, first of all, let's go back to the, the college. You know, we, we contend that, that a lot of the recruiting nowadays for um, uh, espionage work, especially corporate espionage work, they're recruiting from the colleges. So, what you're, what I'm hearing from you, Jack, is that that was a, the case back then as well. You were looking for college students. That, Absolutely, uh, yeah. And no. so, what were you targeting specifically? To just uh, well, in those days, uh, the focus was uh, uh, ideology hmm. more than money, uh, more than uh, character weaknesses, even though. Uh, I was supposed to pay attention to those as well, right. you know. Have, but but you understand if if you're recruiting somebody with a weak character, uh, they could go bad on you, right? Uh, money, well, <laughs> that that is that is a problem as well as part of the weak character. So right. ideology is really what what makes uh, you know good allies, mm-hmm. and that didn't have to be communist ideology. You know, it could be false flag recruiting. You know, somebody uh, who is uh, an ardent supporter of Israel could be recruited under, you know, an Israeli flag. Right. You know, help us out and that kind of stuff. Or peace-loving individuals with no party affiliation. But if you could approach them from the angle, it's like, you know, I'm working for a, you know, make, make up a name, a world peace organization. Mm-hmm. Help us out. You know, you're doing something really good. That, that was the focus. That was the way. Uh, and uh, again, the focus was primarily on people who, would, who might wind up in government one day. Uh, okay. and, and and the reason I tell you what they uh, that doesn't mean that the Russians weren't engaged in industrial espionage they were mm-hmm. but they were also highly compartmentalized and uh, uh, industrial espionage was never in the picture until um, my last two years 
in the U.S. And so I was back in Moscow, and uh, uh, one day I get introduced to somebody who wanted to meet me, KGB agent, and he said, well, I'm, I'm in the area where we do uh, industrial intelligence. You know, we didn't mm. call it espionage. We called it something nicer. Uh, and, and he was quite open about uh, the situation. He said, we are falling behind. You know, the Soviet Union is, is technically uh, falling behind. We need to make sure that we keep pace with the United States and catch up and whatever. And you are an information technology. Can you please try to get your hands on stuff, mm-hmm. whatever it is? Well, that stuff wound up to be some software. Uh, um, but uh, but it, from that angle, I was an insider in a company that had a secret that was easily accessible. Ins- insiders are, even today, the most dangerous right. agents. Agreed. I would, I would Agreed. Uh, think that uh, the FBI friend over here m- might agree with that statement. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Jack. You said that uh, they had a secret that you were able to steal, but it was not really protected. Was not. <clears throat> what do you mean by that? It was not. I had access to, and uh, in, in those days, it was a mainframe environment, to libraries that I shouldn't have had business to to look into. And there was no one checking to see who nope. was accessing. No, this there was n- nobody noticed that I was at one point uh, doing a lot of weekend work, because in those days, you know, there was no way to just copy this. I had to like actually print it out. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so like odd behaviors. No, nobody paid attention to any kind of that stuff. And I don't think, I don't think uh, people do a lot of that today either. Uh, just to detect somebody who is doing odd things that they shouldn't be doing. Now, there's software that you can install where you can with pattern control, you know, pattern uh, recognition. But, but people in general, I found in the United States are still very trusting and unaware of. Uh, Bad things that could be coming. It's it's a good it's a good character trait. I love it. It's the openness, but uh, it's not good for security. Well, when you say that because Americans view themselves as the good guys, mm-hmm. they don't want to view the bad traits in people. So, had you decided you really wanted to harm the United States government or the nation, you could have done it had you wanted to simply because we were not vigilant. Correct. Over time, <clears throat> now I was already, uh, uh, I had already broken up with the KGB, but at one point, and I was still operating under my illegally obtained documentation, uh, I was hired by a company that uh, is, is a, a large electric generator, uh, who, uh, and that company co owned a nuclear plant. And I had, I, I actually had access to that plant. Did uh, you have access to nuclear information that you were not clear to receive? No, okay. I didn't look for it because that would have been stupid. <laughs> okay, but, but uh, I was I in. Stop you, Jack. I'm sorry, but when you say that would have been stupid, it would have been stupid because you would have left a trail that somebody might have picked up on, or why well, would it? Have been? No, no. The point being that I was already working with the FBI, so uh, th- at that point it would have been really stupid to do that. Got it. But. Uh, 
if I'm still operational, you know, I, I find ways to befriend the people who have that access and find a way to maybe do them a favor. There's ways to, to but it takes time. You need to, you need to uh, really build some relationships with the folks that are actually uh, legitimately uh, have access to, to that secret information. So let me ask you this, and, and this is just uh, something that pops in my head about modern day. You know, since uh, roughly March uh, of, of this year, 2020, um, so many people are taking those secrets home and working from home. Yeah. So we already have a problem with uh, uh, nobody really pays attention. Um, they don't have to print it anymore to get it out of a out of out of an office. Now they don't even have to go to the office. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that, oh, Jack? It's uh, this is the biggest vulnerability that you can imagine. Just emailing information, you know, back and right, forth. Right, right. Emails is so easy to hack. Uh, I I still have very very close connections with the the cybersecurity community of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm familiar with what's going on. I've, I've also given quite a few talks uh, in for IT type meetings and conventions. So uh, I keep I keep an interest in the situation. Mm-hmm. The vulner- vulnerabilities are tremendous, um, and and the the biggest vulnerability is 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 user malfeasance. It's you right. know lack of what we call cyber hygiene. You know the things right. that you that you should do and the things you shouldn't do. Right. Uh, and uh, you know the only way I don't know how to. It's just it's very difficult. Americans don't don't lo- want to be subject to that kind of discipline. Uh, I would tend to agree with you, but uh, so let's let's talk facts here. Then are we talking about the Russians today, mm-hmm. the KGB today, and other? Um, countries that we might have um, concerns with, mm-hmm. and maybe some that we don't have concerns with, they're stealing our secrets right now. You bet. You bet. And it, it's easier than ever, particularly in IT. Think about how many... How many um, first of all, we got a whole bunch of foreign students in our universities. Right. right? Universities uh, are notoriously bad at keeping secrets. You right. know, right. I've, I've had a long-standing, ironically, relationship with uh, uh, Columbia University where I mentored right. s- students and the professors had no n- had no qualms sending email addresses to the world <laughs> <laughs> right and and so so we got students and we got contractors and we got outsourcing going on I mean we got the and and it's fundamentally impossible to vet everybody who is working on important stuff in whatever company you're you're working in whatever field you're working in uh, and it sounds like you know a xenophobic statement but it's a fact we're bringing in a whole bunch of mostly amateur would-be spies into our organizations right and they're all over the place they are and and we're not <laughs> we're not capable uh, or, or nobody's paying attention and they're stealing our stuff right out from under our nose there's no no doubt about it uh, you know I'm, you know the details probably better than i do but the, the the chinese have a plane that looks like it was manufactured in the united states developed and manufactured right, right, right. right? so where does that come from <laughs> right 
and, and, and that comes from companies that you would think would be more astute yeah. to protecting their secrets. But uh, so so that's a problem. But I think uh, it's even a, a, a maybe more widespread problem that companies, American companies, that don't think that number one anybody's going to steal anything from them, and second of all, they yeah. don't think there's anything that that they have worth stealing, and they're wrong. That is, there's a there's an interesting case study for this. Uh, the uh, you know the Pakistan has a nuclear weapon, right? And how did they get it? Over time, there's a fellow by the name of Khan mm-hmm. who who acquired piecemeal all the things that you needed to eventually make a nuclear weapon. And it took him many years. And companies that he stole that from, or sometimes bought it from, uh, had no clue that this was, was important. Uh, mm-hmm. So and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't even know if I could ex- exclude anything that that people are making from, uh, from a list of vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So, I, 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 Jack, I find it fascinating that uh, that you're a you know, former KGB uh, spy, but that you also want to have an expertise in cybersecurity and and. Um, uh, IT and especially uh, that you're forwarded thinking enough to to focus on that back um, when they moved you over here. But where are we today? Who's our biggest threats? What countries are our biggest threats to the to the companies in the United States? In your opinion? Oh, China, China, no doubt. Uh, their services also, I think, are are, are functioning better than mm-hmm. the Russians. Mm-hmm. The Russians uh, come across to me based on what I've I've seen that stuff that comes out in public or uh, that came out in conversation with uh, some FBI folks that I occasionally interact with. Uh, the Russian, the quality of the Russian intelligence is, has significantly uh, been reduced. But right. uh, the SVR, the military intelligence, is probably the best of the three. Uh, but they just throw agents out there and, and uh, with little training. Like remember that that lady, the red, uh, the redhead who who uh, made contact with the uh, uh, National Rifle Association folks. Right. Yes, uh, she was totally not trained at all. She sent messages via Facebook, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but she she clearly had a. Uh, you know, she was recruited in some way, and right. and I guarantee you, there's every Russian who who uh, they have to tell their government where they're going and what they're doing. Like if they're students or business people, they will be talked to, mm-hmm. and they will, and people will, uh, you know, they help us out. You know, be a patriot, like find stuff. Right. And some people will do it, and some won't. But uh, you you have to be. Aware of this, you know, you you can't think that all the Russians are bad, right? So it's a it's a, it's a it's a balancing act, right? We we don't want to get into a situation where it is xenophobic, mm-hmm. right? But you still need Let to me speak to that, Jack, because you make a good point, and Brent, I'm sure you're aware of it as well. I think the young lady you're talking about was Anna Chapman. Was that her no, name? no, Chapman was the one of the ten, ten that, illegals. That's it, and this is the one that did the Butina guy. But, Correct. Mm-hmm. When we get information like that in the FBI, when we got that, what we was, we were always curious if if this was an operation created by the KGB now SVR. Mm-hmm. 
to mislead us and direct us away from the actual target that too. of what the SVR was after. So we start throwing resources That's right. over here because yeah. this one's obvious. Yeah. It's easy mm-hmm. to figure out. While this is going on and we're missing it completely, does the SVR and the GRE, do they still operate that way? Yeah, why not? I mean, they, they, they would be stupid not to do that diversion. And, for instance, when uh, the, the 10 illegals that were caught uh, some ten, about 10 years ago, uh, they were, and based on what I know and heard about them, rank amateurs didn't do much of anything. Uh, by the way, I was, uh, if they had gone to trial, I, uh, I was going to be a, uh, a material witness, you know, to just to, really? uh, talk about what it's like, how you operate as a spy. Uh, and I, I know that the FBI spent several years watching them, watching them. And yes, and you had some of your best people on, on this. That could have been a diversion. We will never know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem with uh, uh, intelligence. You will never know the truth, even if it's written down. That's Fascinating. So, give give us your <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, I'm interested to hear your take today on Putin and the, the current status of, of Russia. You know, we we had the wall come down, and I think everybody had a, a euphoric. Uh, yeah, the Cold War was over, but you know, spying didn't stop. And now we have a former head of the KGB that's been running Russia for uh, a number of years, and, and and even in his quote off years, was still running Russia. What, what's your perspective of that? Well, the one thing that uh, I tell people, and that's a well-known fact if you dig into this a little bit, that, that Putin was not a super agent for the KGB. Mm. It doesn't take much uh, to come to that conclusion without even knowing uh, anything. He was a mid-level KGB agent in the city of Dresden, Germany. Uh, during the Cold War, Dresden, Germany was not a focal point of any intelligence agency. <laughs> uh, you know, it was Berlin, it was Vienna, it was um, uh, Istanbul, mm-hmm. obviously London and New York, but not Dresden. Right. Uh, but he turned out to be a masterful politician. And then he, uh, w- w- what he did he built this network of other ex-KGB agents, and they were elite. These were these were some of the most highly educated mm-hmm. people, and they also knew how the West works. They also knew how private enterprise works. So, so some of them became oligarchs, mm-hmm. and uh, you know this this is how Putin built his power base, uh, but he kept it by um, by doing by. Manipulating uh, the Russian uh, uh, Russian people to an extent uh, is, is un- un- incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know they they dumped communism as an ideology and it was replaced with very strong nationalism. You know it's, right. it's all about Russia and and you know I'm I'm here to protect you. I'm here to to make sure that the evil people from that surround us won't invade us and. He managed to to hang in there, and uh, with the most recent changes in the constitution, he he probably will die in office, and not not by somebody else, but you know, just of old age. So the it, the Russians aren't our friends right now, correct? I don't the think they Russian ever were. Government. 
I don't think they ever were. And, uh, uh, you know, this this whole idea of uh, uh, was it was it uh, Hillary Clinton who who spoke about a reset with yes, Russia? Yes. Well, uh, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, they Russia was never a friend. The Soviet Union was a, a clear enemy, enemy, but uh, Russia did not become a friend. Um, That's well, uh, yeah, Jack. Uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, but I, I, um, this is fascinating. We could go on for a long time, but I do want to, before I let you go, for the the folks that are listening, they're going to be curious about uh, some of the things that I'm curious about, which is, um, you know, when when you're in the middle of your spying, at, at at what point, if any, did you feel like the FBI was tracking you, that they were on to you, that um, did you have any point in your life that you said, holy smokes, these folks are about to get me? No. That was a clear no. Part of it was possibly wishful thinking, mm-hmm. but if you act like they're after you, that becomes paranoia. Right. At that point, you're going to start making mistakes. Now, I was extremely well trained in counter intelligence counter espionage uh, you know fundamentally there's a there's a there's another word for it that describes it better just to uh determine as to whether somebody is investigating you mm-hmm. uh whether you're being followed right. uh whether people go through your apartment and and on and on and on and i had i had signs uh in my apartment uh that uh, it's not the the hair over the door but it's for instance a drawer that uh, was opened eight millimeters, but you couldn't see it was open unless you went to look from it from the underside. So, you know, if somebody actually goes through your apartment, they open the drawer, they close it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never, never had an indication that somebody uh, was on to me, and I was right. Uh, the only reason I was discovered eventually, it was uh, many years after I broke up with the KGB, was that... Uh, um, a defector smuggled a bunch of information out of uh, the KGB archives, and my name, Your Jack name Barsky, was was in that material. And that's when the FBI. That's right. So I was going to just yeah. say at the beginning that uh, you know, in the context between the spy catcher and and the spy to be caught, I think I won. I might have to let Dell say something. About that. <laughs> Well, you know, I respect what you did, the job you did. We were adversaries, and now just by the grace of God, we're friends. And we can sit here, we can talk about it with each other. But could I ask you one question, going back to the beginning here, because this is important for our listeners to remember and understand, Brent. You said that the gentleman who uh, spoke to you, and I think we were in Moscow, and he was talking about the intellectual property issue. No. And you asked him, you said, well, what is it we want? And he said, we're behind in everything. That's right. And you said, okay, what do we want? And he said, whatever he, he you did. can get your hands he on. He did. Technology, that was, that was the word, technology. You know, technology is obviously, I was in information technology, so that narrowed the field for me. But it's all technology. You, you, you probably know that the Russians uh, are doing mag- magnificently uh, putting people in space with uh, substandard uh, equipment. <laughs> uh, somehow they managed to, you know, to just piece things together. And uh, But technologically, they were always behind and still are. 
So once again, that means that that every company out there that has some type of secret that uh, could be valuable to our adversaries, uh, and that our adversaries are not just other American companies that are trying to steal our stuff, but it's international countries that are trying to distill our stuff well, as well. It, it's a matter of uh, competitiveness, but it's also a right. matter of national security. So um, a couple of more curiosity questions, if you don't mind, Jack. Do you still have family back in East Germany? I do. Do you get to speak two, to them? Yes. I have two sons and a granddaughter. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are uh, 48 and 37. Uh, and um, my, I have two adult children in the U.S., and uh, they all met. They all know That's fascinating. Know each other. And the story of how we, this family got back together is a interesting story by itself because that's due to my, my daughter who, uh, when she heard that she has half-siblings in Germany, wouldn't rest until she found them wow. and then forced my hand because I was afraid to meet them. <laughs> So, but it, it turned out to be it turned out really well. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's all. And um, so, your daughter in the U.S. goes by Barsky, correct? No, she she was <clears throat> she she did, but she uh, she was married, and she okay. So. The, she then oh no, the, but she then changed her when she got divorced. She changed her name to Dietrich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she's a she's a okay. she's a Dietrich. All right. <laughs> Um, so you, obviously you can go back to, to Germany anytime you want to. Yes. Can, yes what sir. about Russia? Except not today, because we are all infected by COVID. Right. So they won't let us in. <laughs> Nobody's traveling right now. <laughs> but uh, what about Russia? Have you been back? To uh, no, sir. And uh, if you put a million dollars on the, on the table and ask me to go, I wouldn't. Interesting. So maybe that, that leads to my next question. Do you fear the KGB at all? Do I fear them? Yes. Again, the answer has to be no, because I can't run around afraid. Uh, You know, there's some things that I wouldn't do, like go to visit Russia, or I I have an invitation for next year to participate in an event in the Republic of Georgia, Mm -hmm. right next to Russia, and uh, I have been advised not to do it, so I won't. It's probably a good plan. it's, It's... just a little too dangerous. You, you got to be, you right. know, you got to be somewhat cautious. But if there was a list of, uh, you know, people to do harm to, based on uh, me not being a Russian national, never been, mm-hmm. uh, and based on the fact that my case is pretty old, I would be v- near the bottom of the list. And um, those those special operations take a lot of planning and special people to implement. Right. Uh, I don't think they would waste. Uh, those resources on somebody like me, unless I walk right in front of, right. you know, unless give him an opportunity. So, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Yeah. Anything that you can say, <laughs> that uh, you can say here? What will my wife <laughs> <laughs> have a problem with the next morning? <laughs> Oh, uh, Jack, you have a, a fascinating story. Um, thank you so much for, for spending time with us. Thank you for uh, for uh, honoring uh, Dale and I both with uh, your presence here in our office today. Um, uh, it, it, it's such an interesting story, but I am proud that, that, that the, the ultimate end to the story so far, um, because you have many years to live, but that, that you're an American and that you're uh, – 
you, you saw um, that with all our our flaws and faults that uh, this is the greatest country and and you wanted to be a part of it so we're we're glad to have you here i wholeheartedly agree and i'm really glad when when people ask me uh so maybe i'm going to answer a question you didn't ask uh, and and if uh, knowing what you know today would you do it again the only answer i can give based on the outcome yes that's a good answer that's a good answer what you had to go through i think that's uh I think that people have to understand that that, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's not a, a fact of would you spy again. It's knowing the outcome. Would you change your your life? And I, and I think a lot of us would say the same thing that, you know, knowing what I had to go through the bad to get to where I am today. Exactly. Is you know, yes, I would do that again. So I, I think that's a great way, a great perspective. I think you're an interesting person. Um, I think you. Uh, uh, have a great perspective uh, on things and this perspective on life and thank you for being here so you're welcome then <clears throat> uh, to our audience thank you for tuning in if you want to give us any feedback on this podcast or share experiences some of your own maybe uh, please email us at risktakers at chesleybrown.com thank you so much for spending time with us and as always you can find the links to this podcast as well as others and notes to this episode uh, and our other episodes at chesleybrown.com forward slash risk takers. We will see you next time. Thanks, everybody.